Enterprising in my surroundings I'm finding the quietest estates these days Just representation of storm brewing Amazed that the focus remains The vocal focal point of my change Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast I'm your host, Matt Chittam And this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there Who are working hard to get better While balancing running the rest of their lives. I'm so excited for today's show with Lisa Braden. But before we get into it, let's talk about racing, specifically the Richmond Marathon. That's right, the VCU Health Richmond Marathon, the CarMax Half Marathon, and the Allianz 8K down in Richmond, Virginia. This unbelievably scenic and beautiful course is one of the best in the country. I've been I've been hearing about it for years, which means you have probably heard the same thing. It's one of the best Boston qualifying courses out there as well. And you have one week until the price of the marathon goes up, September 16th. That's when it goes up. So go over there today to richmondmarathon.org, sign up before the price increase. You're going to want to do this. I'm going to be heading down there to Virginia for the half marathon. I am so excited for this. Actually, the expos at the local racetracks are having an outdoor setup for the expo. So we'll have the full expo experience without it being indoors. It's just going to be a wonderful, wonderful weekend. This is one of the best marathons, one of the best races in the country. And you're going to want to be there for it. So go to... Uh, I almost said the wrong website. There you go. I almost said sports backers because those are the people who put on the Richmond Marathon. They do great work. But you're going to go to richmondmarathon.org today and make sure you get in there before September 16th, before the price increase. Now, today's episode with Lisa Braden is all about long run and marathon nutrition. That's right. The sponsor in gas symmetry there. Wouldn't you know it? Actually, that's that you you would think that I would, you know, coordinate that sort of thing. I don't. Virtual Marathon decided they were gonna sponsor this episode like three months ago. And I couldn't wait to talk to Lisa. So it just you know, it was one of those fortuitous things, but it does work out nicely because Rich because Richmond, because marathon season is upon us. And I am so very excited. So many marathons coming up, so many people doing marathons. So talking about nutrition for those long runs, for those long efforts, and for race day is so valuable to all of us, even those of us who have done these races before. Dialing in your nutrition is so important. It's vital to the effort, and that is why I am so excited to talk to Lisa Braden today, a registered dietitian and a marathoner herself. So let's get into it with my conversation with Lisa. Hello, Lisa Braden, and welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. I am so excited to chat with you. As you know, you listen to the show. We've talked before uh, prior to this conversation several times. In fact, um, what I like to do here on the show is every couple months is to get a dietitian on the show for either for new listeners or to address new topics that are coming up. And that's exactly what we got coming up because September is here. It is officially marathon race season for a lot of people and for a lot of people who have postponed or deferred marathons over the last 18 months it is officially upon us and this is exciting stuff not only for race day but also for training it's true it's very exciting i mean it's been a while since we've all had the marathon majors and all of those things come up and so it's really exciting to get to see people get to race again and get to watch the pros again i mean it's going to be an exciting fall for sure that is for sure before we get into all things you know, fueling for for our big time workouts and our big time races and all of that. Are you training for anything specifically? Um, I well, I guess yes and no. Um, 
I'm kind of coming off of an easy summer. I did a marathon in March and really took kind of a longer recovery than what I normally do. And so, and then like the kids were home in the summer. So just kind of did easy miles, a little thing. So now I think I've probably been like technically back in training for a couple of weeks, but we're just doing lower mileage, starting to ramp up speed work, things like that. But there's a group of us going down um, to run a half marathon on my 40th birthday. And so that's in January. So it'll be my first race as a master's and there's a whole group of us going down. So that's kind of what we've got our eyes on. So exciting. What what day is your birthday in January? January 20th. Oh, how exciting. Mine four days after yours. I'm like basically, you know, almost you're basically almost exactly a year older than you. It just turned 40 this past January. Well, that's exciting for you guys. What what race are you doing? We're going to do 3M in Austin. Oh, so that sounds great. That it sounds great. I mean, if you're going to be racing in January, you might as well do it in a warm location. <laughs> yeah, with good tacos, too, because that's they, really important. Hey, all the better. Is there other let's dive into that, right? It's just it's from a dietitian standpoint, is tacos are better pre-marathon or pre-half marathon fuel or better post-half marathon marathon fuel? Yeah, I really don't think you can mess up when you eat a taco. I mean, I'm all for like pre, during, post, all of it. So we actually are doing a relay here in a couple of weeks at a marathon and we are the Taco Bells. So oh, what a name. Um, we have a lot of taco love going on in our running group. That is exciting. Oh, my goodness. That is, that is great. Okay, so we're just coming down the heels of summer and summer presents its own challenges from a fueling perspective or just running perspective right because it's going to be super hot and those longer days once you heat up you really can't cool down mid-run or even if you're doing other activities which provides its own set of challenges but now that the fall is upon us and it's going to be here and and at least weather up in the northeast you can tell it's starting to, to change a little bit here um when you get people who are starting to think about race day uh, from a fueling perspective, what are some of the things that you want the runners that you're working with or could be working with in the future to think about in terms of training from a fueling perspective, not just training from a running perspective? Right. So there's a couple of things. I always look at it from two different perspectives. We want to look at fueling from our everyday perspective. Are we eating enough day to day? Are we fueling our body with enough enough carbs to fuel our training? Are we eating enough protein? Are we doing all of those things to keep us from um, getting injured and also just making sure that we're fueling our runs properly? And then from there, um, I'm hoping that at least eight to 12 weeks, you know, maybe when that marathon training block starts, we're thinking about, okay, what is the race setup? What are my go-to fueling sources? Um, I need to have a carb loading plan. I need to have a race breakfast plan. I need to have a race uh, like the race nutrition plan. And then I also need to plan for something post-race so that I could have a good recovery. So there's a lot of components that are race specific, but then there's some components that are training specific as well. Absolutely. And what do you suggest for people who are either new to a marathon or and or marathon training, or just haven't feel like they've really dialed in that race day nutrition the way they want to? How can somebody... Do, what, what can people do in training to make sure that they're ready for race day from a fueling perspective? Yeah, so people need to understand, um, number one, that the marathon is a beast. And we do cannot get through a marathon without food, without carbohydrates. Um, and that's usually the primary fuel source to get through a marathon. So we can store energy on our body through carb storage, which is glycogen. 
But glycogen, if you don't eat, um, if you don't eat a solid breakfast, if you go into the race with a low glycogen tank um, and then you don't fuel your run, you're going to run out of energy. Usually the wall is what we call it is usually about like 18 to 22 miles, somewhere in there. And that's when our body just basically says, yep, I'm out of storage. I cannot run what I've been running for the last 20 miles. And that's typically why that last six miles is so much harder. So um, just knowing that the importance of carbohydrates and the importance of just eating in general and that we just can't make it through a marathon without some nutrition support. I think that's number one. And then from there, there's certain math numbers and different things that we can plan for um, based on what your goal is. If your goal is to perform or finish or, you know, those sort of thing, they're all kind of different. Yeah. And I know there's a lot of runners who when they hit that wall, they just assume, oh, this is this makes sense. Just they think more like towards the training side. It's like, okay, well, my long run was 18 to 20 miles. I hit a wall around 18, 20 miles. Obviously, that's the data correlation that I should be considering. And for a lot of people, they say, no, no, that's not quite it. It's more on the fueling side. So can you break that down for us? Like why that might be a time where fueling may cause us to hit the wall and or if we do it right, you know, allow us to kind of finish strong. Right. So I think a couple of things. So first, you know, we need to think about the marathon. I think there's a lot of people that just think you have to suffer like a marathon. And there is a lot of marathon suffering for sure. But you did call it a beast about three minutes ago. (laughs) Um, But you don't necessarily have to suffer as much as you think. I think people think there's just a certain level of pain that's involved in it, but it doesn't always have to be that way. So When I'm working with an athlete, we figure out, you know, what their size is, what their pace is, you know, what what their goals are. And we start making a plan to make sure they do not run out of energy at that 18 to 22 mark. So if you think about your so if you think about glycogen, I think about it as a gas tank. So we about two weeks before your run, we are continually like topping off our tank with carbohydrates, which is what carb loading is. Then we top it off a final time with a really solid carb race breakfast. And then, so hopefully we're entering that marathon with, you know, a completely full carbohydrate gas tank, which can get us to about 18 to 20 miles. But so we need to eat enough carbs before we get there so that we don't completely run out of fuel. And if you can do that, you can actually have a really strong back half of a marathon. You can actually fly through those last six miles. Yes, you're going to be tired. Yes, it's going to be hard but it's not going to feel um, as hard as it would if you were not fueled as well. Got it. All right. So let's talk about how we can not only fuel our long runs in training, but we can prepare ourselves so that we don't have any of that, like just GI mess or the, like the, the fuel that we, the fuel that we actually take in during race day or these long runs are, is benefiting us, not, you know, creating another set of problems. Correct. Yes. So with that, um, usually practice is perfect. So um, the typical race carbs that we need to stay in is around like 30 to 90 grams of carb per hour, which is a pretty wide range. Um, So we, I like to try to get people up to about 60 and then we just kind of see from there how they're doing. Um, 60 is about the limit where if we're using one source of carbohydrates, say glucose or some, you know, derivative of that, that's what, if we go above 60 an hour, that's where we can really start to see stomach issues. So, um, we try and start our runs. I usually start like the first long run, you know, somewhere in like the 30 to 40 gram carb range. And then we work our way up over the weeks and see 
Um, how is our stomach holding up? How are we feeling? Are we ending that run with lots of energy? Did our stomach hold up? All of those things. And so then we kind of reevaluate and figure out, you know, are you using the right source of carbs? Um, do gels upset your stomach? Are you taking enough water with them? Do we need to switch the carbohydrate source? So there's lots of different elements to kind of figuring out um, what works best for you. But you know, we start with that number, like somewhere between 30 to 90 grams um, and work our way up to kind of figure out what is best for each person. I love that idea of working up. So it's not this like set number of like, all right, we have 40 grams and that's it. Um, I know for ultra running, they always talk about how like it's basically an eating competition with some running mixed in. And obviously, you know, ultra marathons are very different oftentimes than say a road marathon. But I wonder, I, I like, I like feeling that I like taking that mantra to heart of like, hey, like really try to have as much food as you can, in this case, usually gels, but in, you know, much, as much intake as you can to prepare yourself for a lot of this stuff. And I would assume that there has to be a pretty good amount of trial and error that comes with that. Yeah. So, you know, I, I will typically get somebody who's, if they're new to marathoning or they've hit the wall on previous races and they've reached out to me for help, you know, I typically see most people are at below like a 30 gram per carb hour. Um, like they're taking in less than 30 grams. So it takes a little bit to kind of get used to that. Um, it's a lot of sugar. Sometimes it doesn't always sit well. You get sick of the taste after several hours. So it's kind of working through those things. Plus our stomach is used to one level of carbs and now we're introducing a whole new level to it. So sometimes we kind of have to stair step up that way. I mean, there's people that can take, you know, two gels at once and be totally fine. But um, for the vast majority of people, especially women, they just have a little bit more sensitive stomachs than everybody else. So it takes a little bit of time and you can train yourself to handle more fluid, more carbs, um, you know, more food, that sort of thing. And is there a differentiation between the different kinds of gels that people can can take in? Like I know, you know, Goo was kind of one of the, the, the fir, one of the foremost companies that really got into it. But now there's a whole panoply of options that people have out there, and even you can now has an option, which I know is a little different than some other other companies. When you're going through different options with runners, how do you segment the the choices? Um, well, I kind of base it off of their history. So if they've taken, you know, goo or some other glucose based um, gel and have done fine with it, then we just try to hit their numbers and make sure that even at higher levels, they're going to be fine with that. If that doesn't work, we can look at like a combination of sugar. So like, um, you know, sometimes we can hit a limit with how much glucose we have. So we can add some fruit sugar in there, which is fructose. And there's a nice ratio in there that can um you can get basically more carbs in with less GI distress. But then, yeah, I mean, the sky's the limit. Like Spring Energy now has real food-based gels. UCAN has their super starch-based gels. Um, you know, things like Huma or Huma, I don't even know how you say it, um, has the chia seed kind of real food gels. And then Honey Stinger is, you know, honey and tapioca starch-based. So there's lots of different options out there. And it just kind of depends on, um, like their history. And I ask a lot of questions about, you know, what happens and this or that. So we just kind of troubleshoot, but yeah, there's tons of options, um, that people can choose from now. Yeah. And some of them have like, and I don't know, I don't, I haven't tried Huma before. And like you, I wasn't exactly sure how to pronounce it. Um, but there are some that, you know, whether it's the chia seeds or others that have like some sort of fiber element in them. And I was always curious about that. Cause like, I know the fiber can help you digest the sugar more slowly right. right so like that's why like 
if you're eating an apple, it's nice to eat it with the skin, right? You kind of learn that like, hey, it helps with the whole digestion process. However, there's the other side of fiber, (laughs) which may be less conducive to running, at least while you're running, right? Maybe afterwards or before is probably a good idea, but I don't want to get too graphic here. But ultimately, I could see there being maybe some pitfalls. Have you had... um, not experience, I'm doing air quotes <laughs> oh, no, here, yes, yes, experience with this, experience. <laughs> but like anecdotally, have you had like, do you know um, kind of where you fall on on on, uh, on some of those? Yeah. So I use, um, I actually, in my like IBS type runners, Yuma actually works really well, which um, it does help lower the sugar. It's a different type of sugar. And so it's helpful. Um, it's like low FODMAP, which is kind of a, you know, GI type of, um, it's, it's used as a diet to help calm down IBS, but there's just certain types of carbs that are better for certain types of guts. And so I have used that before. Um, and it seems to work the fiber component. It must just be, I mean, if it was straight chia seeds, we might get in some trouble, but I think they have just a nice ratio of certain carbohydrates with a little bit of chia seeds that helps with texture. It helps it go down. Um, it's not as sweet tasting. And so it seems to work out for some people. I don't use it all the time, but um, actually it works well for really super sensitive stomachs if we've tried everything else and we can't figure it out. Gotcha. And how do electrolytes come into play here? Because obviously it's important. We're all sweating. Um, there are different different electrolytes that can be part of this. It's not just sodium. So in terms of mapping out the running plan, for somebody, how does how does electrolytes fall in here in terms of whether they're incorporated in the gels someone's taking or the food they're eating and or maybe with the liquids they're taking in? Yeah, so um, part of the marathon nutrition plan is always having an electrolyte source. So um, with all the different products out, we just have to make sure, you know, say they've already chosen like um, cliff shot blocks or something that are, they have some highly salted ones now. So if somebody's already doing that, we've already got our electrolyte stuff taken care of. Um, but yeah, I mean, we can get it through drinking. We can get it through, um, certain gels have it added, but just the one thing is just to make sure that you have some source of electrolytes in there. You know, that's why we're seeing people hand out salty pretzels at miles 16 and 17 of marathons is because we're wanting to make sure there's a nice source of electrolytes in there. Um, but everybody burns hydration and electrolytes a little bit differently. So I have had people in the past where um, their hydration is on point, their carbs are on point, but we're still just not feeling quite right at the end of our long runs. And that's where we could look at, well, are they a heavy sweater? Are we you know, finishing our long runs caked in salt? You know, our sh- shirts and pants and everything are covered in salt. So if that's true, we need to up our electrolytes to make sure that that is covered as well. So we're not running low on any of that stuff. Yeah. Have you looked at any like the salt patches, which are now becoming like in vogue? I know Gatorade has one. If some of these like measurements besides just like looking down at your shirt and be like, all right, there's salt (laughs) on here. Obviously I have a salty sweater. Um, you know, anything like that? Um, I haven't really seen a, um, I don't want to say cheap, but for lack of a better word, cheaper option outside of like formal, really good testing that seems to be on point um, outside of just like being able to look at yourself and say, yes, I'm a heavy sweater. So, um, I I mean, I think there's some good information there. Um, I do sweat rates with all of my athletes. So we um, figure out as, as much or how much hydration they are burning through through each run. So we look at that and then we just kind of see the people who are heavy sweaters are kind of more rare than others. And so it's more of just kind of trying to figure out like if everything else is working, but we're still missing something, 
that would kind of start to go down that path. But there's some pretty good electrolyte um, guidelines that I tend to follow. And so as long as we're in those guidelines and not having any trouble, then we usually do pretty well. And you laid out a really good case for like, all right, this is how much glucose you need, and this is how it burns out, and this is why you need to replenish it. Is electrolytes kind of the same thing, or can you start to do some of this stuff ahead of time? And if you have maybe a salt to your diet or 36 hours before long run, can you get some of that ahead of time? Or does it kind of have to follow the same sort of schedule as the glucose and sugar model? No, you can preload electrolytes as well. Um, So that can be something like, you know, drinking scratch, which is a high electrolyte drink, you know, the like 24 to 36 hours before, and you can start to preload some of those um, electrolytes. I mean, you tend to put on a little bit of water um, with that, but that's okay because we're just going to burn it whenever we run. So, right. I was, it was that, when you say, does it mean you just, you're carrying the water or does that add to hydration if you're like, if you have that uh, boost in water in your system coming from the electrolytes you're taking in? Uh, it just means you're well hydrated, you know, lining up at the race. And so we're not in deficit when we start. All right. Well, this is, yeah, there's, there's, I feel like there's so many different electrolyte things going on now too, where like, like Element is one that's always popping up in my fees. You know, they sponsor a couple different podcasts that I listen to. I think Jason Fitzgerald's podcast, I don't know, no, no free ads here on Rambling Water, <laughs> but I know that like, I know they, he's a friend of mine. He's like, look at all this stuff I have in my office. Yeah. It's Element everywhere. Um, I knew all those where it's like, they don't have any sugar in them, but there's a ton of electrolytes and, you know, there's um, all this other stuff. I mean, there seems to be every company kind of has their electrolyte add-in. So that way you can kind of customize your levels based on what your body needs. So um, pretty much everybody has them. But yes, things like what you had mentioned, plus, um, you know, Scratch now has hyperhydration. Um, there's liquid IV. There's a bunch now that are much, much higher on electrolyte counts than others. And those are what I use with um, my super salty sweaters. Gotcha. And when, if you're talking to someone who is doing a, maybe a half marathon, does, is there certain races that are more centric on like making sure that you're replenishing the glucose as opposed to the electrolytes or, or vice versa? Or is it just kind of all uh, come together? Like, all right, if you're running a certain length, this is when you have to refuel for both. Or how does it, how do you mix and match the distance with the fueling on both of these, both of these categories? Yeah, I like to base it more on how long you're going to be out there um, because there's people that can run a marathon in two and a half hours. And then there's people um, like me not that long ago that could run a half in two and a half hours. So James has gotten me a little bit better than that. But um, yeah, I mean, we, so say, it, we say James, we say that's James McCurdy for people who are listening. Who's yes, the yes, co-owner sorry, of yes. McCurdy trained. That's that, that, that's where I coach. And Lisa is actually one of the um, favorite dietitians for McCurdy trained again with, with Megan Featherston, who's also been on this podcast as well. Both of you guys do such great work. Yes. And James is my personal coach. So um, I run with him now for about three years and he's wonderful. So um, anyway, so it's kind of based on how much time you're going to be out there. So, um, you know, if we're only out there for an hour, hour and a half, hour, 45 minutes, we might take, you know, something like one gel worth 30 grams of carbs in there. Um, But if we're going to be out there for two, three hours, um, we need to really refuel our body. So that's where we kind of look at taking in more, maybe upwards of like 60 grams of carb per hour. Um, I also look at the intensity, um, the higher intensity that we burn, the more carbs that we use. And so we have to make sure if we're going to be out there for a long time at high intensity, we have to make sure that we fuel that as well. That's why ultras are so awesome. And there's such an eating contest because you're running forever, but you're running at a low intensity. So you can like eat all the tacos and M&Ms and you know, do all sorts of stuff with that. So pretty fun 
it's my goal to do one of those ultras one day. I'm not there yet. There you go. There you go. That makes two of us. Well, that, and that's a great point, right? So you're running, say you're running a half marathon and you're like, all right, well, I'm only going to be out there. Say you're one of the faster people listening to this show. And you're like, all right, I'm going to run my half marathon in 90 minutes. I do easy runs of 75 minutes all the time and I don't need to take anything in. I probably don't need anything for my half marathon. It sounds like if you're talking to the person, you might want them to maybe recon possibly reconsider that option. Yeah, I mean, when we, so you may do 75 minute easy runs, but that's at a much less intensity um, than you would race at. So we want to make sure that we're taking into effect the time that you're out there and how hard you're working, because that affects um, the harder we're working, the more glycogen we blow through. Um, weather is also a big factor. Um, so we have to, you know, figure out what weather is on race day, if it's going to be really hot, even if it's going to be really cold. I remember they did some at uh, Boston, what was it? a couple of years ago where the weather was horrible. It was like the 2018. Yes. Thank you. So, um, they were, you know, I remember people throwing out studies and numbers that, you know, in that kind of intense cold, you burn through glycogen at like one and a half times at your normal rate. So we kind of have to oh, look at cause to keep yourself warm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cause you're not, Oh my running. God. I never thought about that. Yeah. So, you know, for those, um, people out there running, I hope that they stashed an extra two or three gels in their pocket because, um, they were going to run out of fuel a lot sooner than what they thought because their body was working so hard to stay cool and to run the race. Cause that was like a 40 mile headwind <laughs> in your face. Plus it was like, you know, 36 degrees or something. It was insane. Oh my God. That is wild. What another thing to consider. <laughs> that is crazy. Um, all right. So let's talk about non-race day. Okay strategies when it comes to eating. Okay. So there's a lot of people who are getting into marathons and right, every, every marathon season, there's new marathoners, right? And for a lot of people getting into the marathon, it's like, all right, well, what, what brought you to this? What got you into it? For a lot of people, it's like, Hey, I want, this was part of a weight loss journey for me at some point, right? So you have a lot of people who get into running, especially people, um, around our age, right? We're like, all right, like I was running and then I took a time off and I'm coming back, want to get healthier. Here we go. They start to build up, feel good about themselves. Now they want to start running a marathon, but they still have this weight loss component to it, which from talking to people like yourself, I know can get a little tricky when it comes to performing well at a marathon. And then you're kind of serving two masters here. So when you're talking to people who kind of have a foot in each one of these doing well in the marathon and also thinking about their weight or weight loss, how do you negotiate that conversation and, and that relationship? It is really tricky. Um, I tend to prefer to separate the two. So we usually have a block of time where we're working on weight loss um, just itself. And then we work on like performance-based eating for the marathon. Um, but I realize that that's not everybody's realistic goal. Um, so we have to kind of keep those things in check. We have to figure out what our priorities are. Are our priorities running a PR or are our priorities completing our first marathon, you know, happy and healthy, um, you know, or is our priority dropping 50 pounds and not worrying about like, you know, getting injured or something like that. So, you know, it's just kind of talking through what those priorities are. And most of my athletes, we, I've always separated it. Um, just because you increase your risk of, of injury, whenever you're chronically in a calorie deficit and marathon training is a lot, it takes a lot of miles. Um, it take, it requires a lot of sleep, um, all of that stuff. So 
you know, I really want to focus in on making sure um, they're getting the carbs that they need, they're getting the sleep that they need, and that we're not putting an added stress of like increasing miles or increasing speed work or anything during that time that we're wanting to lose weight. It's it's hard to balance. It can be done, but it's it's pretty tricky. So I like to separate those two things out. And if you're able to do that and the person's on board with that with that plan, um, do you just have them like, all right, we're getting rid of the scale now? Or like, how do you make sure that the other side doesn't kind of start creeping in, you know, say if training's going well, okay, training's going well, maybe I'll kind of introduce this back in or, or how do we, how do we keep these things, these two things apart? Um, well, we just kind of, it's accountability for me. You know, I talk through things with people. We, um, I, I'm not really a way, I don't really weigh people. I just don't think it's super productive. Um, it's a piece of data and that's fine for me, but you know, for most people, there's a really big emotional component to whatever that number says. So I go but based on other markers. How are we feeling? How is our energy? How are our clothes fitting? You know, do you feel like you're making progress? Are you happy with where you are? Do you, you know, do you feel like you're getting stronger? Do you feel like your endurance is getting better? So I like to use those markers more than I do for weight loss uh, or for the weight on the scale. The other thing is people put on muscle and burn fat at different rates. And so you, I do, one of my other jobs is I work in genetics, like genetic nutrition. So we look at all these genetic markers and kind of how people are built. And then we make, you know, certain um, nutritional recommendations based on their genetics. And within that, we look at fitness markers. So there are people that literally can just pack on muscle, um, but maybe they don't lose fat as quickly. And so for those types of people, anybody adding in a new exercise or adding in a new stimulus, it may actually cause weight gain on the scale, but they may drop a size or two in their clothing. And so, you know, I, I look at try to balance all of those markers. And so we're not just fixated on that number because I just think it's not it's only one tiny piece to the puzzle. It's not everything. But that's just my general philosophy. Yeah, and it doesn't even seem like it's if you're going down the met, like a scale of like the most important metrics, the least important metrics. It seems it would like be pretty close to the bottom um, compared to all these other factors besides just running performance being like a clear factor here. Well, and when we store carbs, we store them with water. So you know, bet- where depending on where you are in your week of mileage and what you've been eating, I mean, we can see weight fluctuations of two to three pounds a week just based on kind of whatever you're doing. And so I don't know. I mean, it. It's a piece of data. I can use it, but I just have found it not to be as productive as other pieces of data. <laughs> now, anyone who's going through marathon training and marathons before or just maybe even just um, longer endurance events, right, whether it's biking or long distance swimming, have had the experience of just like your appetite increases seemingly with your fitness level. Right? Oh, is sure. this something that's just like, is, is this a true fact or is this just like we're doing it wrong and maybe that shouldn't be the case? Um, no, I don't think you're, well, I mean, not necessarily doing it wrong, but I will, I mean, I've been pregnant. I've breastfed both my kids and there is nothing like marathon hunger. I can tell you that. So, um, but also I, it's an important thing to realize, you know, are we hungry because we're really burning out those calories? Or are we hungry because we're not fueling ourselves correctly? Um, because there are kind of two different sets of hunger. Um, and I see it a lot where people are fueling um, maybe the back half of their day better than they are the front half of their day, just because, you know, people are busy, they get up, they go run fasted, then they have to get kids off to school, and then they have to, you know, go to work or whatever. And so, we end up kind of in a deficit throughout the day and then we are starving by dinner. And so 
um, there is a certain way to kind of balance all of those things out. I want to balance your energy, um, you know, at the times that you need it, um, especially in those high energy times of day, which is, you know, mornings for a lot of runners. Um, so there is a way to kind of balance that energy a little bit better. But yeah, I mean, there's no way around being hungry after a long run. <laughs> well, that's good to know. I, I, but your point is well taken. Obviously, it would get exaggerated if you're under fueling for a portion of the day versus other other times of day. Um, I think that most people who are listening to this probably now that, especially now that school year's here, kids are going off to school, um, you probably have mostly morning runners or lunchtime runners, at least for the vast majority of days, right? Especially on the weekends, um, kind of get out there before the heat and for the, the, the big part of the day gets going. For some of these longer efforts, so whether it's a workout or a um a long run on the weekend or even like if you have like the the kind of like the weekend double header right so you have the 15 mile long run and the next day you go in there for 10 miles it's an easy run but one of those things where like hey running on tired legs is, is a positive for you if you're training for a marathon what are some of the things that you want to have runners take into account before they head out the door to make sure that they don't run fasted uh because i know that that can be a big misstep for quite a few people Sure. Yes. So I am 100% on board for eating before every run. Um, and how much you eat is based, basically based on how much time you have and how much you weigh. And so if we are running and if we are eating an hour before we leave for running, we need about one gram of carb per kilogram of weight. If we are eating two hours before, we need about two grams of carbohydrate um, per kilogram of weight. Um, same thing like three hours, four hours. So, um, you know, typically weekends, if it's a big long run, I like it to be somewhere around 90 minutes, um, anywhere between 90 minutes and up. And so we just get a really nice, good carb um, amount before we leave for the run. And then we, you know, take in our race nutrition plan carbs during the run. And then there's a really nice window that I think is really important within about 30 to 60 minutes after you finish we need to be eating again. So that's, it's our recovery window. It doesn't have to be a ton. It's usually, you know, between two, 300 calories, but we need a really good mix of carbs and protein. So somewhere between three to one to four to one carb to protein ratio. If we can eat in that time, um, our body recovers faster. We actually replenish our glycogen more efficiently. Um, you know, our muscles get protein right away. It's just a really important, efficient time that we can be eating. Um, and it sets us up for not being overly hungry when we're ready to eat again in, you know, 45 minutes. <laughs> Are there some common either foods or food combinations that hit that three to one or four to one ratio? Um, chocolate milk is probably the most commonly known one. That's why people always say drink chocolate milk after your workout because it's almost a perfect four to one carb to protein ratio. Um, but really anything like that dairy-based or um, or like high plant protein-based. So it could be like a latte, like an iced latte after your run. It could be like a yogurt drink. It could be like a, you know, nutrition, like fruit shake with some protein powder. Um, picky bars are actually about 200 calories and a perfect four I'm to one. I'm wearing a picky bar shirt as we're having this conversation. <laughs> yep, there you go. Okay, no free ads, picky bars. It just, it's, it's, lucky. it's a weird coincidence. Yes, there you go. So, um, you know, it could be like a, some a cheese stick and some fruit or, you know, depending on how long your run is. If you're running a long run, it needs to probably be a little bit bigger than that. But those are kind of some examples of things that are pretty quick. Um, drinkable calories usually are easier in that window because we're kind of coming off of our run. We're tired. 
we're thirsty already. And so, you know, making a smoothie or an iced coffee or something like that with iced coffee with like soy milk or cow's milk or something like that um, is really helpful in that window. Yeah, that, 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 that makes a lot of sense. How about for people who are um, either lactose intolerant or they're more plant-based? I know that we're, we're talking about here, it's, it's easier when you have the, the full set of options. Not everyone has those either by choice or by just that's how their body works better. Um, what are some of the things that, that you would go to if they're maybe steering away from some of the plant-based stuff? I mean, not, not steering away from plant but steering into more of the plant-based stuff. Well, luckily now we have tons of plant-based options. I mean, there's things like Orgain that are completely plant-based. Just about every company now has their own plant-based protein. Um, we just need to probably be taking it a little bit more because it's not quite as efficient as, say, like whey protein or something like that. And so um, just maybe upping the amount of plant protein that you're getting um, in total versus what you would get from animal protein. But there's, t- you know, tons and tons of options out there um, for plant-based, I think. Garden of Life has a really nice sport brand. Um, I already mentioned Orgain. There's there's lots of options. Gosh, I know that there there is. It seems like I can I feel bad. Not feel bad, but every time I've like gone towards more of the plant based stuff, I'm like it's just exhausting. I think people who are have it dialed in probably isn't. I feel like whenever I go that route, I'm like everything has to be such a decision. I have to think out everything ahead of time. Um, again, I'm sure that's just me and uh, figuring it out. Once once you do it, it's probably easier. It's take, it takes some planning ahead of time. I've had some vegan athletes that I've worked with, and it's just a little bit harder to meet those numbers that you need um, for protein and endurance athletes. Um, and so it just takes a little bit more time and planning and things like that. And for some people, it's absolutely worth it because they have strong beliefs around um, being plant-based. And I fully support that. I just, I anybody that is, say, vegan or plant-based or something like that, I just encourage to get a professional involved just to look just kind of do a once over and make sure that you're getting all that you need. Cause there's some certain vitamins and minerals that are really important with, um, running like iron B12, things like that, that don't come as easily in a plant-based diet. So it can absolutely be done. It just takes a little bit more planning and effort. All right. Can we talk about alcohol? Sure. <laughs> all right. So I, there was an interesting study that came out recently. Maybe it was a, it was an article about a study, but it was, it was recently came out just talking about how I think it was Alex Hutchinson, talked about in his sweet science um uh either either an article he put out or his um newsletter i can't remember i can't after reading it, i can't remember yeah. just, it's on my phone right that's all i know i read phone. his book endure and it wasn't in there so i'm anxious to no it wasn't this was this was this week okay. <laughs> it popped up um but just talking about how like it's odd it's it's interesting how alcohol consumption tends to correlate with fitness level not the other way around. Okay. So again, you, you always wonder like what's the sample size for this study and who are they talking to and what sports are we talking about? Anyway, anyway, that it was, there was a correlative effect, right? Whether it's people celebrating or people feel like, oh, I can do this because I have put in all these miles or whatever. Um, but in your, in, in your opinion, in terms of the people that you've worked with and the people that if you're like, if, if you had your druthers, what were what would be people's relationship to alcohol as they're training for these races and when how again maybe putting into like a range of what you view as like you know i don't want to put words in your mouth but like the range of like totally fine to like we really should start rethinking your relationship to alcohol here 
Yeah, I mean, I've had a couple of people where I've had to say, hey, I think we need to cut back on this, mainly for just like calorie reasons. I mean, we were, the, I've had some that have consumed a lot of their calories from alcohol. And so, we, and we were doing a weight loss portion thing. So there was some different things with that. As far as running goes, I mean, I think it's a balance of what, where I can see it in benefiting fitness is because it's relaxing, right? You know, and, and running and marathoning is partly a mental sport. And so if we have all these expe expectations on us and we're, you know, anxious about a run or a race or something like that, and, a, you know, one drink can calm us down, sure. But, you know, we have to think about at what point does it become excessive or detrimental? Um, and I think that just depends on the person. You know, we don't want to drink to the point where we're, de we're dehydrated or if it takes the place of carbs when we're carb loading or something like that. But Hey, I mean, if that's a tradition where, you know, you have a small drink before a race night and you, you know, sleep well and you wake up refreshed, I mean, hey, I say go for it. Yeah. You know, it's, I, I know there's people who kind of fall on all ends of the spectrum here, right? I know there are some runners who are like, you know, after every race, we're having this or my, my running group does this after every run. And it just is, it's a part of their their daily life and or social life, right? And I know other people who are like, hey, it's going to affect my HRV. There's, you know, there's cellular damage associated with this. I don't, if I'm training so hard, I don't want to do three steps forward, one steps back when it comes to, you know, even minimal alcohol use. And I can see the the, the rationale for all of it. Um, so I, I never quite know where to come down on it. Yeah. And I think, you know, after all of us surviving what 2020 was and what 2021 is, I think, you know, if we have something that's an integral part of our running community or our routine or something that brings us joy without, you know, you know, having something hurt what we're doing. I mean, I think there's a place for a lot of things like that. I think, um, you know, not everybody has the same goals in running and, you know, I might treat a pro a little bit differently than I would just, you know, somebody who's trying to complete a marathon for the first time. But, you know, I, I think there's, I'm kind of a try to keep things balanced. I think there's a place for a lot of things in nutrition and alcohol and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. So um, it's ultimately, I want the person being their healthiest physically, mentally. Um, and if that's a beer before a marathon, I say, hey, let's go. There you go. Or a beer during a race like Camila Heron. Um, or not. So. And tacos. She literally ate Taco Bell and drank a beer during an ultra. And she lives like 20 minutes from me. And so, so I. So is like, she on your team or what? Or not? Lisa, are you going to close the deal on this? Is she well, going to be on the Taco her, Bells? I will totally take her on my team. We well, have you're the one that lives close to her. I don't know her. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I didn't think about it, but I really should recruit her for the Taco Bells. Um, Talk about like the definition of a ringer. Oh be. my gosh. I like, I can't even, I remember reading about that and I, I can't even wrap my mind around it. I think it's awesome. Like that's some life goals right there. <laughs> there you go. Lisa, you talked about the people that you work with, the people are interested in learning more about you or working with you or the, some of the services that you provide, where can they go and what are you up to right now? Um, so they, I'm not much of a social media person. I'm not on Facebook. You can find me on Instagram at LB underscore the underscore RD. Um, Lisa Braden, the registered dietitian is what it sounds or stands for. And um, I also have a website, www.lbtherd.com. Um, so you can find me there. You can also, there's a link to me from the McCurdy Train website. So you can find me there. Um, also another friend of mine, her name is Jackie Kirchner. She's um, a dietitian like me that works with endurance athletes. We have built a class together to get you through marathon nutrition. So 
It's called um, Feel Better to Run Faster. And our first class actually launches today, which we're super excited about. Um, hey! Yeah. It's a, it's yeah I didn't know that. This, this sounds like it was so perfectly planned, all the way down to my t-shirt, Pinky Bars, your class. Right. <laughs> Man, I got things rolling over here. Yes. Yeah, so we um, we started our first group this or today, and then we will kind of roll those out every few weeks. Um, it's usually about like a two to three week thing where it's all self-paced and online. It's on your phone. You can kind of follow along. And then you have individual and Zoom sessions with each of the dietitians. And so that way it provides, um, you know, some individualized goals setting and things like that and troubleshooting um, with a professional. But you can also learn a lot of it just yourself. All right. And that's at lbtherd.com? Yes. All right. Lisa, thank you so much. And... Yeah, congratulations on, on, on the launch. That's great. Thank you so much. It was nice to talk to you today. Lisa, thank you so much for coming on this show. So excited to talk to her. That is for sure. She's doing great work. So thank you again. Thank you again for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Also, a big shout out to the Richmond Marathon. Head over to richmondmarathon.org today. Before the price goes up, you're going to want to do it. It's one of the best races in the country. I'm doing the half Come join me. It's going to be so much fun. Whether you're doing the full, the half, or the AK, which is a roughly five-mile race, this is going to be so much fun. So thank you so much for listening, and happy running. This has been a production of Rambling Runner Podcast. This podcast is produced by David Margetti of InPost Media. Thank you to Meta P for the music. His song, Righteous Path, featuring Rex Mayhem and Chip Fu, is produced by Symphonic Bang. Enterprising in my surroundings, I'm finding the quietest estates these days. Just representation of storm brewing, amazed that the focus remains the vocal focal point of my change. I'm trying to show this industry I got.